Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. The usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship, and our partner, Bet Online, is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on anything, from the coin toss to the color of the Gatorade, Bet Online is the place for your championship wagering. Head to Bet Online and join today to get in on all the action. State of State is presented by Bet Online. The game starts here. Are you looking for a higher potential return on your savings? Turn to our sponsor, SAVE. As an SEC-registered investment advisor, SAVE safely combines the best parts of saving and investing with its Market Savings Program. Market Savings is a savings product that provides you with market returns instead of interest. The returns come from diversified investment portfolios based on your individual investment profile. The return from the investments is paid to you at the end of the selected investment term. But investing comes with risk, right? Well, with SAVE, your deposit is FDIC insured and never used for any investments. The current variable APYs are 9.07% for the one-year product and 7.9% for the five-year product. So what does this cost you? Well, SAVE only charges a fee when your investments make you money. To learn more or to sign up, visit www.joinsave.com state. That's joinsave.com slash state. The link to the website is in the description of this podcast. State of State invites you to join Save. He is a slovenly Steelers fan, and I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan. He's Justin King. I'm Tom Hannafin. Granted, you played for the Steelers, so I'll give you a pass, and you live in Pittsburgh. You're a Pittsburgh guy, but, like, you're just wearing – like, it's just, like, I can't handle it when I'm seeing you wearing this damn hoodie to come on the show. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I don't typically wear team-issue gear, not fan-issue, team-issue gear. You know, it was actually given to me, but – I was walking around, it was a little cold outside, so you know, put on a little black and gold. <laughs> you were at the Steelers indoor facility recently, weren't you? I was, I was. I do our 40 tech uh sessions, which is speed and accelerate functional acceleration and speed training. Do it down there with uh D Brown, two temps training. Um, great trainer in the area, deals with all the guys, Aaron Donald's trainer, Jaquan Brisker, Miles Sanders, a lot of Penn State guys, a lot of recruits um that are going to Penn State train down there. You have uh not Pete Gonzalez, but uh the tight, I mean, Specca, the linebacker from Central Catholic, that was coming up. Specca got some younger guys, Colson, Colson guy, and might be a commit that comes there tomorrow. Deals with a lot of high school players, but I go there. We do forty tech stuff, and it's in the pit in Pittsburgh Steelers facility. So I'm actually right. in the pit facility too. There you go. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, welcome to State of State for everybody tuning in. We're kind of going to cover a lot of bigger stuff today and that winter workouts got underway for the Penn State football program. So nothing terribly earth shattering happening at the moment. Obviously, the recruiting game is ongoing for 2025, even 2026. Penn State continues to make headway on that front. But we're very much about the here and now 
there's so much happening right now with the fate and the future of college football that I think it deems the conversation. Again, check us out on social media, X, Instagram, and TikTok at State of State Pod. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications, and rate us. It really helps the show. Let's start with winter workouts, Justin, on social media. Earlier on this week, saw your dad, Terry Smith, speaking very highly of how Cam Miller is doing thus far in winter workouts. And frankly, I was like, hallelujah because the talent from lockdown you that's going to the nfl is worrisome it's some really talented guys and daquan hardy and kaylin king and johnny dixon so it's like all right hopefully cam miller steps up and it's not anything you know mind-blowing that he got a shout out but it's like hey it's good to see the cam miller standing out what are you hearing about cam what are you hearing about the rest of lockdown you well again it's the beginning of the offseason and guys are getting uh situated into off-season workouts right those 6 a.m terrible you know competitive workouts but pass. i think the hard pass. Yeah, hard pass right but the thing i think you look at for like the coaches putting these like players out is that they're coming with a level of intentionality to the workouts because like you said six o'clock in the morning you're tired it's the off-season guys that come with that extra judge or that extra umph and focused on the next season they start to shine a little bit different, right? Whether it's the competitive nature that they're putting in and different things in that frame. And so I think the shout out comes from that standpoint, probably coming with two, actually two transfer portal corners coming in, having a rough uh, bowl game and you understanding the competitive environments at Penn State. It's like, all right, what up, put up or shut up. And he's putting up. So like you like to see that from a, a corner or just even any of the players that are jumping out and you'll start to see you'll start to see some consistency over the eight week off season period of guys having multiple days where they're showing up. And that translates to the field. Um, not always, but most of the time, some strength coaches might be upset with me saying that, but my football player too. Things <laughs> happen. Uh, those yeah. transfers you mentioned, AJ Harris from Georgia, Jalen Kimber from Florida, a lot of expectations for them. Uh, but again, it's getting in there and competing in this time of year. It's just getting acclimated to the program. So I don't think anybody should be, freaking out too much about whether or not we are or not hearing anything grandiose about those guys. Uh, a shout out earlier this week from Marcus Hagan's wide receiver coach for Liam Clifford. Now, granted, this is something all the position coaches tend to do at Penn State, but still, I was like, man, a wide receiver standing out. That's that's awesome. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, what are you hearing on the wide receiver front? Well, just to even put that in the frame of what you said, like uh, the, the shout outs. I mean, I, I think it's also um, – breeding that level of competitive nature within the organization right when the players are seeing their boys get shout out by the coach they know that when we're in the meeting and we're discussing who was the best player this day who showed the most effort this day who won the most who was the most competitive all these type of things and that person comes out it should light a fire under the rest of the receivers is like i need to be that guy so there's a there's some there's a method to the madness of even the shout outs of that but it creates level of competitive nature. And I think that's what the receiving group continues to need. Um, I haven't heard anything right now. Again, we're just talking about workouts, so we're not talking about football, but I'd like to see the competitive nature and enthusiasm about off-season workouts. Yeah, we're a couple of months away from talking about, all right, you know, spring practices, spring blue-white ball, game, all that stuff. So uh, it's all quiet right now, which, I, I, frankly, after the way the schedule was in December and January, 
I'm, I'm okay with it. I miss football, like the Super Bowls this weekend, but I'm like, I, I miss football, but I'm like, I'm really okay for like a little quiet. And I can only imagine the coaching staff is like, oh, we get to get up off the mat for a second. Cause it, it was just nuts there for two months. The way that this schedule has evolved for college football, Justin, it's just, it feels exhausting. It is. And they've made it to the point where there's, mega events right like that need to be covered we're talking about just being in a content game like you got the transfer portal okay the first signing day it just dawned on me that the second signing day is tomorrow i'm like oh i didn't i didn't realize that but whatever (laughs) but like you said because it's so compact and everything means something and the fact that there aren't true rules is kind of the wild wild west with the nil transfer portal. everybody's kind of making up or using the fundamentals of the business that they knew prior to these new shifting landscape and we're like all right what's happening. So like along with having temple events and different things that need to happen, there's uncertainty amongst fans, players, recruits, coaches along with that. So I think that's what we're feeling where it's like overstimulated, like, Oh my God, what's going on? What does this mean? And this person's moving. Like everything's happening. Are, there, are the players employees or how do they get, you know, W2s, like all the different things that are happening, but it all, matters in the end of the day and the product that comes onto the field next year. Well, you touched on something that came out earlier on this week. Uh, The NLRB ruled that Dartmouth men's basketball players are considered university employees under U.S. labor law and therefore are eligible to unionize. This is something, the unionization concept that's been talked about a lot for a number of years within the Big Ten. Northwestern attempted this uh, I think within the last five years and blanking on what year it was, but this has been talked about quite a bit. And obviously that discussion has intensified with NIL, the transfer portal, just the way things have ballooned the last few years, this felt inevitable, but Justin, what's so odd to me is that how this begins in again, no disrespect to Dartmouth, but a smaller school, an Ivy league school on top of that. And it can just, it can just snowball so quickly and I'm just shocked that it took this long. I mean, I, not I'm 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 not to the extent of like when you talk about the the players unionizing. That was ten years ago. It may have seemed like five, right? But it was 2014. So that was 2014. Oh my god, 2014. So we've been myself. at yeah. So we've been at the, so we've been at this for a long time. When we think of what that means, but we, the two special situations with that is that they're two private universities, right? So when we think of like private universities being able to make their different rules, how they deal with their students, it's a little different, even though the courts overturned Northwestern, all that good stuff. So it's quite interesting to me because, I mean, the Ivy Leagues operate a little bit different, even how they recruit. It's more of a D3 type of situation. But when we get into that mode of transitioning from amateurism or the facade of amateurism into like employment, unionization, collective bargaining and all these different aspects. I don't know if players or everyone realizes like this is the, like this moment in time that we have right now is the best that it's going to ever be for a college football or for a college athlete. Like we, we always scream about how it's unfair, this, that, and a third, but I come from the business of football where when you put rules in place and you have to, you know, judge the Excel sheet by who's bringing in what value and who's losing us value. You think it's cutthroat. Now it only gets more cutthroat. The evaluation process gets even tighter. And so everything that goes along with that, I mean, 
it's an interesting space, but I don't think it's ever going to come down to the universities because we're talking about public and private universities. When it does happen and they transition, it's going to be an employee of the Big Ten, an employee of the SEC. And then I think it will operate in under that realm moving forward. But I'm, I'm not surprised by the the ruling from the NLRB um, or Northwestern or Dartmouth. I just think it's going to get overturned. And it's, we just got to look at the actual battles that come along with this fight of employment, right? Like make sure that the union union's sep- operating the right way. Make sure the people that are representing the players are doing the things the right way. Because we look at the top level where we're dealing with billionaires and players that are making hundreds of millions of dollars. They have one of the weakest unions in professional sports. And so again, right now there's a lot of anarchy, I guess you say in college sports, Feels but, this like anarchy, it, yeah. but this anarchy is probably t- the benefit to is probably benefit the players more than anything in the future is going to come about after we get uh the legalese and all the different things formatted right in this sport so i'm saying a lot to say is that this is the the, the beginning of the end but i don't think the players becoming employees is that great to be completely honest why do you think it's not great? Like, for instance, if Drew Auer and Nick Singleton became employees, you know, does that just make their life more clunky and complicated as students? Well, they're, you're talking about them as the, I was I would consider them the top 1% on the team, top mm. 2% on the team, right? Or even prospects. You're talking about the one number one quarterback, the number one running back coming out of high school. So, like, they're mm. not going to be affected too much. Like, they Fair actually might point. benefit, right? The game of football is to commoditize the player. So, outside of those top 50 guys, now you're trying to, you're just a minimum wage worker at this point. So you think that you didn't have any rights prior to that. And now that the school conference has something to lean back on where it's like, oh, these are business principles that we're going based off of. And like now coaches, you guys really operate on that. Stop saying the relationships. Don't do this. This is our salary cap. I don't know if our high school athletes and just how they're, I can't say brainwashed, but how, how they're constructed raised, right like the, the environment just the, the environment the recruiting process the recruiting business everything that forms in that i think it's going to be a hard slap in the face if that's hitting at 17 18 years old when they get into college even though they're getting it right now it's a little bit of a surprise but they're like the the holes that exist still benefit the players a little bit it, it certainly it certainly does benefit the players right now and it's something that the entirety of college athletics is yet to really grasp and that you look at I, I always go back to college basketball specifically the one and done concept everybody demonized John Calipari and Kentucky for jumping on that early and one of the first people to do that was Mike Shashevsky at Duke well gave it a couple of years and all of a sudden Duke's getting one and done's and you have to get with the times and eventually Mike Shashevsky he's he's done everything and has recently retired Nick Saban recently retired there, there's this narrative out there now that coaching is more of a young man's game in the college football level and you see some coaches like the, the boston college football coach just left to go take an nfl job that was going to pay less money because he was like oh i just want to deal with football and it's like man th- what we understand this college athletics world to be is so bizarre right now because uh, cam ward is a great example was at washington state he's now at miami he apparently tried to talk to Ohio State. He wanted one to two million dollars, allegedly, wasn't getting it, said, quote, I'm going to the draft, but he didn't have an agent. So he came back. Now he's at Miami. I assume Miami paid him, 
we don't really know how much he got paid. Then there's this whole Caleb Williams situation at USC where he doesn't have an agent, but he's declared for the draft. I believe he has, but like I thought Cam Ward had declared as well. And Caleb Williams is trying to call his shot saying, I don't want to go to the Bears. He could go back to USC if he wanted. And it's like the coaches and the administrators are freaking out because they don't have the control. And I always look at it from the player's point of view is that for years it was the coaches who just be like, I got a new job. Peace. I recruited you, you know sorry, I got to do what's best for me and my family. And it's like, well, okay, well, the player should be able to have the same option. So now that they do have the same option, we're calling it the Wild West. But like three years ago, we were like, oh, that's just college athletics where the coach leaves and he goes to a bigger job or something. It's There's never been more fluidity. And, and also at the same time, I agree that there's a need for standards and rules and some sort of alignment and some sort of organization to all this because it does feel like this amorphous blob but <laughs> you do have to make it fair for all the different sides i i just don't know if fair is really plausible in life yeah i don't know if fair is plausible in this whole ncaa market where it started because i would think even i always had because i always viewed the coaches leaving versus the players leaving i might be viewed that differently i think it's completely different when you're looking at eight to ten coaches moving jobs versus 110 players when you're talking about a product to be put on the field so i understood even the dynamics of coach it like some coaches would abuse that that transfer power right like i'm not signing your stuff you're not going to a competitor looking out for their jobs but then there's a level of jumping in the transfer portal when we say like the overall aspect or we scan out a little bit from a macro view like, who is it really hurting? Because, I mean, it actually gives the coaches more leverage than anything else. When you talk about this, the transfer portal, NIL and all those different things, that's the wild, wild west when we just don't know how things are getting paid. Like, they're not at least the NFL still works on a salary cap. We, we don't know where the money's coming from. All these different aspects. And I always push back even on the the, the notion of Nick Saban leaving because, like, under the – the guys and the promise of the old NCAA, he actually stood tall on what it was about. It was like, come in, get an education and go make millions in the NFL. And he produced the most millionaires under that system. Mm -hmm. And I would say that there's just more booby traps before you get to that bigger jackpot now that we're getting into, I would say the, the facade of the Wild Wild West NIL, because there's ways to go about it and go through it. I, I think, I, I know them. You guys check out LIG Sports Group if you ever need anything going through this whole recruiting sports business. But I can see how it can be confusing for families, for coaches, for players that are in the, in, in the organization right now because you don't really know who to trust, right? Because it's like, all right, am I trusting my coach and he might leave? Am I trusting my this person that's trying to just get me this deal? Like there really isn't no uniformity across the country. So with that, I mean – when there's chaos, there's opportunity. And right now, the players are cashing out on opportunity. But I know once we, once you get to like a conference standpoint, and everyone starts really looking at like, okay, how do we make money, right? Because mm -hmm. then it's going to be about that level of thinking and not just putting on a, a show. And then values going to be predicted the way that they need to be predicted. And again, you think that players are marginalized now or commoditized now? I mean being an employee with 110 other players, I mean, across the board, I think it's going to be very interesting moving forward, but it's going to have to, we're going to have to break the glass at one point to 
treat everyone in like a business, whether it's the coaches understanding what they need to do from a player uh, a salary cap standpoint, or it's the players understanding what they need to do to keep a roster spot or to get a degree, like just making sure that the, the clear things to have success in this industry are there right now. It's not there. Right. And that's why LG sports group exists. Got it. I'm thinking about like the third punter on the team doing a performance review and be like, Tell me how you did this season. It's like, ah, uh, you know, but, I'd like to be back next year. That's a perfect example. Like the fact like that that kid has nothing to stand on if the coaches want to get rid of him, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing, like you have nobody to vouch for you. You can't do anything. And like, it's up to the coaches. It's up to the coaches to continue to upgrade the roster. Get into business is to keep increasing profits, get better. We say that in a facetious way about college sports now, rose-colored glasses, but we get in the business and it's coming from the conferences and not your school that you're dealing with. Yeah, I hope everyone's ready to play because what I see in the landscape right now, I think will be a rude awakening across the board. Well, it, it does seem like a boom period right now. I saw a story that uh, Georgia quarterback Carson Beck allegedly bought a Lambo for $270,000. I don't know if he bought it. I wouldn't be shocked if they gave it to him and were like, hey, post about this, bounce around town, that sort of stuff. That would make more sense to me than a college quarterback blowing that big of an amount of money. Now, if he did, okay, Carson, let's reel it in a little bit. But like, and then we always talk like about the penthouse that Caleb was living in in, in Los Angeles. It's like, it's not bad. This I like the, I like the, I like him buying a Lamborghini more than I like Travis Hunter giving his girlfriend a hundred thousand dollar engagement ring. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> Give me the Lambo. Okay. Give me the Lambo. <laughs> well, so here's my question to you: Should players coming out of high school treat it as a one-year deal with a university? Should always treat it as a one-year deal. Like to be completely honest, like and understanding that to put a clock on yourself so that you're never feeling comfortable that you have time to develop and get on the development track or whatever you need to do. I'm about to talk about hitting metrics and checkpoints so that you can fulfill what you need to fulfill, like getting on the field. So with that being said, I mean, yeah, like you just have to have clarity on what you need to do to move forward and succeed at the school. But I mean, what was because like that was the question, right? I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm, well, I guess my, my thought is like if we're if the if college athletics are basically professional athletics at this point, are we going to see a point in the next two to three years where the high profile player, um, you know, Drew Auer, we'll use him as an example, he comes up and he's getting recruited and is instead of just hey, come to Penn State and here's the NIL package, and then like he has the opportunity to transfer here and there. If a university thinks as much of a five-star or four-star, whomever, do they offer him a four-year deal and you are locked into that four-year deal, much like NFL contracts? Well, that would be interesting. I think that would, I think since the money is going to be coming from the TV contracts, mostly and going to the conferences, we got to think of the players being signed to the conference, right? So mm. with that being said, I think when you're signed to the conference, like they're going to be getting into contracts, right? Like real contracts where you got holdouts and terms and agreements and agents and everything that comes into fulfilling and putting together a contract for your talent. So with someone like Drew Aller, I think it's going to be completely different than maybe a two, three star that's coming in and trying to just get on the field somewhere. But with that being said, I, I, I think 
once they start paying players or treating them like employees, like all the free access or excess time to access to NIL and excess of time to be able to go out there and do your different things, I think will be limited because like now the conference is like, you're employees. Like, let's get rid of the 20 hour NCAA rule. Let's mm-hmm. like really start bringing in this time. Like they're going to take away the different time if they start paying the players. I mean, I, I mean, even when I was at the XFL and I was looking at like all the different, you know, languages through the lawyers, their player contracts, even the NIL with rights they retain, everything about it. I was like, if guys knew, like, it'd be pretty cool to stay in school if you knew some of these other aspects, if, like how to maximize your brand, your money in this space, because this is, this seems like a, a harder deal. You know what I mean? Like you have to still, you got to make, like, who knows what the base level salary is going to be. Like if they're all getting paid $40,000 and get a little bit here like yeah it's great if they're all making fifty five thousand dollars and it's taxed normally like a w-2 employee and then they have mm-hmm. different responsibilities they have to do and still be a top level football player i mean that's a transition for guys that are going to the league with millions of dollars and elite talent like i can only imagine for some guys that are 17 and trying to figure out their way with this the dynamics still that are in in place right with the transfer portal and how people are moving and things of that nature but yeah i think there's going to be definitely time limits on contracts moving forward where you're i mean you're not going to be able to leave and you're probably have to play on bowl games as well uh, and playing in bowl games i think a lot of people in terms of fans would be like oh they have to play good well now i'll tune in or something but it's like great compensate them accordingly I think another thing that probably could fall by the wayside is dropping the concept of the student athlete, which I'm not exactly the biggest fan of in the first place. But, hey, you're an employee of the university. You're not a student of the university. So it's like, can we stop playing the game of you're a student athlete? And how many instances have we seen in major college athletics? UNC is one that pops to mind where guys were taking dummy classes and getting A's and B's just to pass. And it's like, great. Can we just stop playing the game that you're here to go to class? Because most of you might not even have any interest in really going to class. And then there's the guys who probably go to a school and there's the John Urschel's Penn State uh, graduate who has done some spectacular things in the world of academia. It's like, okay, well, if you actually want to come here for the academics, then we can offer you this. There's there's different avenues with it. But like, do we just stop pretending that this pay for play model has been going on under the table and guys been getting a pass in the classroom. Well, I think it's, it's, it's kind of twofold because I, I think there's benefits for every player, right? Because I think there's a spectrum where there's, there are John Urschel's that are math whizzes that take full advantage of the academics and then versus the player that comes like I'm a hundred percent football and I don't really care about anything else. There's a lot of players that fall in the middle to where they get different life experiences, being able to build a network, uh, getting exploration in different careers, being able to make the connections that they need to do to actually benefit from the sports ecosystem. I think those things have to still be involved. If you call them student athletes, employees, or whatever the case may be, you're still talking about 17 to 22 year old guys, like, I mean, guys and girls at the end of the day. So with that being said, I think there's developmental checkpoints that have to that still need to be had and there's value at a university or in a sports ecosystem i I just 
I don't think you get rid of that because I think a lot of people that I've seen succeed through the sport that are in a good stance right now were the ones who took full advantage of both. Where oh, they were playing. I, agree. I don't think it should go were, away, but no, no, no. I'm just saying where they're playing football, and it's like they is it's, it's just all it's like playing with house money to them and to an extent. It's not like this is my only thing. It's like I got this school stuff going over here, and I just do this for fun all the way through the league. Or guys that make it to their second contract, it's more of those. So I think having that ability to get that in college and your experience is incredibly uh valuable and necessary to be completely honest and it's just a fine line to operate as a business and a high level employee at the same time state of state is a proud supporter of blue white outfitters blue white outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence competitiveness and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of penn state university check out their lockdown you and lawn boys merchandise today all sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. You mentioned playing for a specific conference, working for a specific conference, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's been the conversation over the last few days of the Big Ten and the SEC having conversations about a potential partnership, what that might be exactly. It's not completely clear but this is something that's been talked about for years justin the question has consistently been brought up why are these major conferences dealing with the ncaa why do college athletics college uh, programs whatever why do they need the ncaa and it feels like we're on the cusp of at least the big 10 and the sec potentially answering that question and saying because there's going to be 36 of these schools we're different. And how many times have you and I've talked about college football and been like, it feels like the SEC winner is going to play the Big Ten winner. And we didn't necessarily get that this year, but we certainly got great representation from the SEC and the Big Ten in the college football playoff. Whether you want to refer to Washington as a former Pac-12 or a current Big Ten, that's your prerogative. But it feels like that concept could be realized if those two conferences separate themselves from the rest of college football, for instance, what does that mean? I mean, it's the, the power two conference that we spoke about uh, a couple months ago, but it's interesting because I think in college sports that we've, we've seen and are living through the outcome of is a lot of leaders punting decisions, looking for this person to make the call, looking for the NCAA to make the rules. So like, there's not, there aren't administrators that create anything, right? Where it's like, hey, this is how we need to operate this. We're always looking down, rightfully so, because you get hit with sanctions and penalties and it messes up mm-hmm. your actual sport. But now removing that from the NCAA's responsibility, I think, I, I really don't know if university officials are equipped to do that and operate a, a sports league to the magnitude of what college football is outside of the Big Ten and SEC based on the talent, the numbers that they get from viewership and just the quality of football. Because everywhere else, man, it's hard to operate high-level sports when you have to pay the talent. Let me put that in there. When you have to pay the talent, that makes it hard. I tell people all the time, my time at the XFL, we spent 75% of our time trying to figure out how to pay the players and still operate. Once I realized that, and I was like, wait, you mean to tell me – Everybody in AA does this without this 75% of the work to figure out how to pay these people. 
that's easy. And like, I think that's what we're seeing where we're coming up with some algebra two type problems with some uh, officials that never got past some um, geometry, but I, I mean, it is what it is. And it's going to be interesting to see as we move forward. There's just so much money being thrown around now with these two conferences. And like you, you can sit here and you can take the on the field perspective and look at the level of competition. It's like, okay, you, you almost have to throw that out the window. I look at a case study of Mizzou football. They just got $62 million <laughs> gifted to the football program. That is program changing money for perspective for all of us Penn Staters. The Pagula Ice Arena that was contributed to help build the Penn State ice hockey program, men's and women's, that entire contribution was, I think, $89 million from the Pagula family who own the Sabres, and I believe they own the Buffalo Bills. I have that wrong, at least that's what it was in the past. But still, that is a program-shifting amount of money, and it's like, oh, look at how Eli Drinkowitz kind of stirred them in the right direction, and all of a sudden, the right people – see something encouraging. They're like, we're going to get behind this. And I look at programs like Oregon. You and I have constantly talked about Nike money. Okay. Makes all the, it makes too much sense. I'm stunned that Under Armour hasn't woken up and tried to turn Maryland into a juggernaut. It doesn't make any sense to me, but there's these huge amounts of money that can be thrown out there that now can shift, not just one program. Football obviously is king, but then you can start affecting Men's basketball, you can start affecting women's basketball. Volleyball's got extre gotten extremely viable within the last few years, men's and women's, women's especially, and baseball as well. There's tons of sports that can start being elevated by these opportunities with these two conferences. It's uh, But it just feels like we're scratching the surface, and if you cut the NCAA out of the equation, it's like, all right, what does that do for everybody else and the competition to get into the power too, as you said? I mean, it's a nuanced question, right? And I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough feat. I mean, especially with changing over in leadership at the NCAA standpoint. But I mean, you have to look at different leagues that are already operating because they have to go to a professional model. And I think it was just no point in recreating the will. I mean, you could just take a little pieces, bits and pieces when you talk about the tournament from the college football playoffs. But you just have to have some level of parity if they if the players become employees and you're paying and it's just not like a, a Yankees versus the Pirates type of situation in college right. sports because like that's what we see where Ole Miss donors might feel differently about NIO and they'll give $10 million in a week versus Michigan or Penn State or even a Mizzou where they start winning. It's like here's $62 million that, and here's 50 to go towards a capital project for the university and here's 10 to go towards NIL. $10 million at Mizzou is big money to be throwing around so it's either it's either sink or swim at this point until there are some more bumper rails put up to kind of bring the parity closer together but i mean until then each university ecosystem is making a decision on how they're going to move forward and if you have a product that people want to invest in not donate but invest and in, be associated with i think that's the that's the marker of a, of a winner and i think that needs to be the shift when we think of amateurism and things being right or how this is morally this, that, the third. It's like, no, NFL professional sports is a bottom line business. And let's look at it that way. Let's come up with our ideas that way and let's move forward. And with that, there's 
needs to be some counterbalance to make sure that the athletes and talent are taken care of in a in the in the right way. And on top of that, the the story that broke yesterday, shortly before we started recording this, is that ESPN, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Fox are creating a joint venture with the side set to launch a new pay streaming service in the U.S. that will launch in the fall. The NFL, the World Cup, the NBA, and other major properties will be on the service. And just think about those networks and think about how much of your athletics you watch through those networks, how many college sports, college football that you watch through those networks. And it's something that I've wondered for a while because my background in 12 years for a lot of it has been professional wrestling. There's the concept of the pay-per-view model and then getting to a streaming model. The challenge of the streaming model is everybody's trying to figure out the metrics and how potential advertising actually translates and how many people were watching. Can they turn that into profit? So we got away from the, the cable companies, but the cable companies still exist and they're trying to figure out how to get their money back. And now they're like, hey, we're all going to come together so that there's one place you have to go and you have to pay X amount. One thing I've been worried about for years, Justin, is, is it going to come down to something where I have to pay per game to see my team? There's packages that get offered so you get a season pass, for instance, to watch the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Philadelphia Phillies. Do you have to pay a season pass to watch Penn State football in the very near future? I don't know, but shout out to Doug Whaley. He has a great idea, and I always think that they should implement it in football. But there should – I always believe that there should be an uncensored football subscription where you can hear all the coaches, everything on the sidelines, unfiltered, and – I don't know how you can do it with competitive balance, but make sure that you can hear everything. The play calls from inside the um, the headphones or, I mean, just really unlimited access throughout the game, player to coach to player uh, during the game, everything. So I think I would like to see a subscription like that in college sports. Does the hair what's going on inside? And I would pay, I think that's a premium product, but do we start paying for individual games outside of ultra access? I don't believe so. I believe, I mean, not outside of the streaming service. I don't think it's going to be like a pay-per-view, like, hey, let's watch the Penn State versus Michigan game for 25 bucks today. I think it's going to be something where to watch the Big Ten games, it's going to cost 50 bucks a year or something. Sure, I could see that. Like something, like, something like that. But so some form of the pay-per-view type of model, but just not necessarily per game here's my argument for it. How much would you pay to watch Ohio state Michigan every year? I haven't watched it in the past. You haven't watched it. Oh, okay. I, I'm oh, a Penn state fan, but I'm still watching yeah. that game. I'm still watching Duke UNC and men's basketball. Like those are two big time properties. So I'm the, I'm I, the don't know if I, yeah, I don't know if I, I'm, I might, I might watch it depending like <laughs> when the implications on the national scene, I'll watch it, but just for the hell of the rivalry. Bump them. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, I think it's something to consider because, for instance, when I turn on my YouTube TV and I see the slate of college football games, I'm the person who watches literally anything you put in front of me. However, there are certain schools and the rankings certainly help you, you know, guide your decision making. We're like, oh, okay, this will be something that affects rankings or maybe a playoff seating. So I'm going to watch this game as opposed to a team that's not ranked or it's a smaller school. So. Everybody has their biases in that respect. But I, I do have to wonder, it's like, hey, is it going to get to a point where it's like, hey, you have the Penn State, <clears throat> you have the Penn State TV schedule 
and Penn State fans constantly will talk about it. it's like, oh, well, what's the home schedule like? It's like, well, you know, this upcoming season, it's like, eh, the, the the first like fun home game is really like UCLA. And I think that's in October. I can't remember exactly, but there's some home games where you're like, as a fan, would you attend it in person? The answer is probably no. So it's like, how much would you pay to watch that on TV? Probably not that much. That might be a free offering. It's something that gets bumped to the Big Ten Network usually. But it's like, hey, Penn State's playing USC. How much to pay for it? How much you? How much to watch it? Supply and demand. I'm with you on that. Like there is, there, there might, there could be moments where like the NFL does, uh, like the change of schedule, like when depending on how the teams are playing, it's like, yo, this is not, this is it. not, a, yeah, yeah. What is it called again? Flexing something. Yeah, like flexing the schedule. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flexing the schedule. So I can see them doing something like that. Like, hey, we got this game. It's number one, number two, week six, eight o'clock game. Put it behind a paywall. I think if something like that happens, it gets pretty ugly. But I don't, I don't know. There's just so many college football games in that short period of time. That's the only difference. It's, that's different than the NFL. And to be able to really highlight that one game is that you can get, I think, a multitude of games at a level that the aesthetic of the game fans will be happy about. Mm-hmm. That's my only thing. Is there's, I just think the supply and demand is a little out of whack in college sports. Bringing this back to Penn State, because we've been talking so much about the big picture of the future of college football here, it it changes the way that you look at a program, it, not even just Penn State, but we always talk about the alignment that exists within Penn State athletics currently, from Dr. Ben Apudi to athletic director Pat Kraft to head coach James Franklin. We just opened up Pandora's box with all these concepts we're talking about here, whether it's employment, NIL, transfer portal, these TV networks, et cetera. Never in history has it been more important for that alignment to be solid. And it appears that's the way things are at Penn State. Now, I can understand the average Penn State fan is probably a little disgruntled that Penn State has not gotten over the proverbial hump to try and win a national championship. That's the goal of everybody. But going into these uncharted waters, so to speak, if the Big Ten and the SEC start to work together and if the TV rights deals start to change things and we're going to see changes to Beaver Stadium, all these things, if the, the players and the NIL arrangements start to have some regulation and organization, I feel good, at least for now, <laughs> that Franklin, Kraft, and Ben Naputi are on the same sheet of music because not every school can say that. And you thank your lucky stars that Penn State is in the Big Ten and not on the outside looking in of these two powerhouse monster conferences that could be on the brink of maybe negotiating their own TV deal as a unit. They already have their individual TV deals, but span multiple networks. That's one thing. But being able to change the marketplace, it's, it's fortunate that Penn State is where it is. And then it's like, okay, we can get into the nitty gritty of what goes down on the field, the X's and O's, the players, the schemes, the coaches, all those things. But from a business standpoint, it feels like Penn State is at least in a good position, and I just don't necessarily know what the next step is on this path, Justin. It's, there's so many things that could change, and it feels like that change is happening within the next two years. I completely agree in the fact that alignment in this time period is the most critical piece for organization, university, everything moving into just the uncharted waters and the variables that we're dealing with in college sports. Because it's like a saying we used to say in the secondary. It's like if we're all wrong, we're right. Like you just can't be <laughs> right. You know what right. I mean? Like we can't hear. I it call, cover three. No, cover two. Oh, great. 
As long as we're all everybody that's on this field, as long as we are playing the same position, don't care. We don't care what the defensive coordinator called. I think that's the mentality that schools that are successful are taking. Like they're not really trying to be right per se. They're just sticking to their guns of like, hey, this is how we're going to do it, and let's see where the the ship fails. And I think ship sails. And I think there's a level of confidence that needs to be implemented into that equation, alignment, shared vision. All those different things because it, it gets rocky and you don't really know exactly where we're going from the different standpoints of always punting or looking for the NCAA. So like once we get that core group together, like we say, um, the president, AD, head coach across the board, I think that's to their benefit. And I think there's been evidence of that through this transfer portal, um, the ch- coaching changes and everything and not seeing Penn State's roster get depleted in all these different transitions and actually been pretty stable through this whole transfer portal and recruiting time and having success. So that's evidence of impact and kudos to them for being aligned in this time because I'm talking to families and everything, like there is a sense that Penn State is under control. I know I give them hell sometimes about not maximizing or doing NIL, different things right, but there is extreme value to having a consistent ship in this current state. And I think Penn State has that. Agreed. Let us know what you think. Hop in the comments section, like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications and rate us or get at us on social media on X, Instagram and TikTok at State of State Pod. Let us know what you think because the future of college football uh, feels pretty unpredictable. But at the same time, like we kind of all seem to have an idea of where it's going, but it's... uh, brave new world let us know what you think thank you all so much for joining us this episode and our entire library of shows is available now on youtube apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts also let us know what you think of the show on social media and check out all of our content on x instagram and tiktok search for the handle at state of state pod State of State is presented by Bet Online and by Blue White Outfitters. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.